Welcome one, welcome all, to the John Davies Podcast. Thank you for sitting through that intro. I feel like it gets worse every time I hear it, and you'll probably get an update on that soon. As soon as we get a Surface mic, everything's going to start sounding a little bit better, which shouldn't be too long from now to my next stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's in my shopping cart. It's definitely going to happen soon. But uh, until then, why don't we get into some news, have a little podcast. Got a lot of stuff happening in the world right now, kids. A lot of crazy stuff. You got inflating tensions, as we've talked about many times since this year started on the podcast in the U.S. You got rising global, uh, call it what you will, like nihilism, something like that. You've got people in the third world under strained conditions because of the lockdowns from the coronavirus. And you've got global uncertainty. You've got a, a quiet battle between two superpowers for world hegemony. And you've also got <clears throat> a realignment of allies in this new world. This new world that's going to be forged by the oncoming clash of cultures, ideologies, and superpowers that's going to occur between China and Russia. So we have a lot of stuff going on right now. I wanted to focus this episode mostly inward. In times of such crisis, it's often best to look you know, at yourself. When there's such big chess pieces moving around and you have no direct control over it, isn't it best to always go back to the things that you do have direct control of? So that's what I wanted to focus this episode more on. I wanted to go over some of my gardening plans for the new year. And then maybe later on, get into some uh, news and stuff like that as well. Also have a story about some scammers that, that are at my job. Some, some scammers there. And some, a brief history of, you know, sort of like the retail scam um, credit card scene. So it'll be an interesting little episode. I think we'll compact it rather nicely. So first let's talk about gardening. Gardening, I feel like, is going to be so important in this sort of new, realigned world. If you have the privilege and the ability to own enough space to have an outdoor garden, you're going to have a leg up. You're going to have an advantage on people. Gardening is becoming a lost art in a lot of the same ways that you know many people in the city have never seen a cow. The process of growing food is lost upon a lot of people. I mean, you can go to any Google whatever, just look up pictures of Chaz's garden. Those crazies that broke off and tried to form form their own society. Look at this garden. Look how awful it is. All these plants died. There's no way these plants lived. And you know, this is the the result you see of when people are living in cities their whole lives. They lose connections with, with what you have to do to grow plants. You have to treat plants with love. You have to consider spacing and you know uh, root management and prune. And it's, it's, it's more of a process. There is every day you got to put in some work to have a really, really good garden. And it's a lot like working out. I've compared it to working out in many ways because... You have to, it teaches you how to be good at something because you have to put in daily effort 
in order for your garden to be successful. You know, to keep the weeds at bay, uh, keep pests away from your plants, manage the soil, you gotta mulch, you gotta, you know, weed your plants. It's really a lot similar to how you have to learn the correct forms for working out. You know, you don't wanna you don't wanna be lifting wrong. You wanna learn how to manage different workloads, like you know, split your days into groups of muscles. So gardening it's going to be really important and if you i mean i encourage everyone if you have not enough space to, to grow outside get it get a grow tent grow indoors everybody's going to need to grow their own food though in the coming crisis because it is undeniable at this point that you know resources are running low we we are coming to a resource shortage fallout the, the, the Fallout universe talked about a resource shortage uh, many, many years before it started circulating. I mean, it's always been sort of a prevalent issue, but it's always sort of been tied to overpopulation. Now, there's no doubt that a component of the resource crisis is tied to overpopulation. But how much of it? How much of it? Well, that's a question that's it's hard to say, especially for somebody like me, you know, just sitting at home. But, I mean, numerous scientific articles today still support the theory that definitely all scientific elite point towards overpopulation being the cause of these, like, resource shortages we're going to have. In a lot of ways, it'll be tied to the labor that that we're going to be missing we're going to be missing out on labor and you know a lot of it's unethical but the shutdowns have have caused the basically like the goods required to make things like sort of raw materials to go in short supply and that's why over the holiday season you saw massive shortages of of stuff in retail stores because we just didn't bother you know in the retail industry to restock <clears throat> i have a employment experience in the retail industry i don't want to go too i'm not going to go into like where i work or anything like that um but i i'm in the retail industry so not just in america but all around the world people are affected by this instability that's coming so in rescue.org they have a survey i'm going to go through it uh 10 coming crises to look out for in 2020 now remember we're in 2021 now so these are seeds that have been planted so to speak in different areas around the world but in the central african republic is the the 10th one uh it says conflict and instability continue to drive displacement and foods food insecurity at 2.6 million people, more than half of the country's population require humanitarian assistance. And over a quarter of all Central Africans have been forced to leave their homes. So you have massive refugee crises all across Africa. Number nine is Somalia. Like, when is that place not in a constant state of crisis? Conflict has driven 740,000 Somalis to nearby countries, and a further 2.6 million people are displaced within the country. So you have massive turmoil. It's going to lead to migrations to Europe. It's going to lead to 
people displacing to other, you know, North African countries, the Middle East. And anytime you get a large movement of people, um, the reality is they're not going to blend well, be it with European or Middle Eastern or even North African cultures. I mean, these are all different cultures and there's going to be struggles and it's going to cause turmoil. Whether or not, you know, we like it or not, it's going to. It always does. I'm not saying migration is inherently bad. But number eight is Burkina Faso. So another, we have another na African nation here. South Sudan, all across Africa. Civil conflict in South Sudan has killed almost 400,000 people since 2013. 7.5 million people need humanitarian assistance. 2.5 million refugees. I mean, this is all across Africa. And then, of course, you know, we have the areas that we caused the crisis in directly by bombing the shit out of their infrastructure. We have Afghanistan uh, in the wake of U.S. Um, removing all their troops. There's probably going to be a resurgence in violence in a lot of places. Uh, people that helped the Americans are probably going to become uh, come down on. <laughs> they're they're going to be cracked down upon hard and... There are almost 2.5 million registered Afghan refugees living outside the country today. So already people have fled that situation. So, I mean, like all across the world, in places where the U.S. has, has done its done business, and of course, you know, Venezuela, the horrific socialist nightmare that is Venezuela, that's a totally different situation. But many place, in many of these countries, the U.S. has had direct influence, like Syria, number three on the list i skipped nigeria that was just that was another african country i mean you see 13.4 million people living in conflict affected uh northeastern states in nigeria so these are the main sources of armed conflict right now in the world but syria you know a situation that we undoubtedly made worse with our blockade back in 20 blah. I believe that was even back during the Obama administration. It's like 2014. But our blockade of Syria caused, you know, untold amount, untold amount of suffering. It was it was a horrible move. Um, probably one of the worst foreign policy decisions that affected the most amount of lives uh, in U.S. history. Our involvement in that situation was just absolutely despicable. It put us in a crosshair of a war, you know, between a, a war of interests between Turkey and Russia, and and just heightened tens tensions everywhere. And, and we did legitimately didn't need to be to be involved in, with Syria. And I think more information is going to come out on that situation in years to come and it's just going to build upon the you know just awfulness of of what what really happened there what we did <clears throat> so going back to to gardening i mean how can we relate possibly relate this to gardening well it's you see these in these places they are unable you know to provide food in a lot of in a lot of situations for their population and it's not to say that they can't 
you know, grow things for themselves, but how can you grow things when you don't have the seeds or the water? I mean, these are resilient people that live in these countries. They could, they could easily, if it wasn't for government mismanagement, provide for themselves. And they had, they had done so. You know, we, we bear some responsibility historically for wrecking up conditions abroad. But before the government wrecks up conditions here in the United States, Learn, like, just get the space, the conditions set up to grow your own food. I think it's going to be super, super essential for people living in our time. So, how, like, let's, let's go to some brief little advice for growing foods. Uh, have some experience growing tomatoes. I, I've grown them, you know, every year. That's probably going to be one of the main features of my garden this year. They're very easy to grow. Now, tomatoes actually aren't the best for you. Tomatoes are, you don't want to eat them all the time. Now, they're not, not, it's not to say tomatoes are unhealthy, but you want to limit your intake and, and, you know, get some other stuff in there. You don't want to just solely rely on a tomato diet. But um, remember that they love warm soil. Like tomatoes, when you put their seeds in, if you're planting them by seeds, they love warm soil. So get them in as soon as the soil uh, it goes above freezing and you can also put like a tarp down above the soil in order to heat it up a little bit. It's important to get the seeds in early though because if if you start them too late you're not you're gonna miss out on some of the harvests that you can get. I mean you can if you get the tomatoes up by April, you're gonna get a summer full of harvest and and they're gonna get huge. They're gonna be huge plants. So Plant the saplings really deep so that they can grow stems from all the roots. When we get a tomato plant, you see it has like three, sorry, sorry, roots from all the stems. You see it has three sort of branches or so when you get a sapling. If you plant it deep enough to where all those uh, branches have contact with the soil, then they can shoot uh, roots from all those and they can become main stems. So all in all, Tomatoes are a really, really easy crop to grow. I plan on planting four Mikado tomatoes. I'm going to get my seeds from a place called Hudson Valley Seed Company. They're very, they're a trusted source. Make sure you're not just buying seeds like from really sketchy internet sources or anything like that. Make sure you're actually getting good seeds. Uh, Hudson Valley Seed Company is a very, very trusted company. Um, also, just local nurseries as well are good. They're not going to sell you bad seeds. Just make sure you're getting good seeds because that's a lot of the, a lot of what comes out of what you grow is your seeds and how you take care of them in the early stages. So always remember to prepare. Always, always, always. So moving away from the nightshades and tomatoes, potatoes are also a very good home crop that you can grow. And remember, these are crops that kept the people of Ireland fed, you know, during times. Now... There is one thing that I, I want to talk to you guys about later uh, after we talk about the different crops and tips for growing them. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. It's an important thing. Uh, it, related, it relates to what I just said about the Irish and potato growing. But there are many different varieties of potatoes. Um, this is important to remember because high starch potatoes are going to be your mashed, like fluffy potatoes. They have a texture. Um, low starch potatoes, that's what you're going to put in soups. 
You don't want to conflate the two. You don't want to prepare to make soup and then have the wrong kind of potatoes. Both of them are good. Both of them are good. Uh, probably mash would be better for if you were going to make a whole meal out of the potatoes. So that would be the, the high starch potatoes there. Ideally, you're going to get three crops of potatoes. There's the first earlies, the second earlies, and the main crop. And the main crop potatoes are always going to be the biggest. So you want to get them in the ground around the same time as your tomatoes, uh, late February, early March. As soon as you feel that the soil is warm enough, and a tarp will also help for that as well. Now, the biggest drawback to potatoes are the diseases that they can get. And this sort of ties into what I was going to talk about, you know, growing foods. There's one more. I wanted to talk about corn a little bit, but we'll, we'll go ahead and talk. You don't want to tie your fate to one crop. This is very important. You don't want to tie the fate of your family, of all of your foods, to one crop because that's what happened in Angorta Moor Dorkshal. Hope I said that right. Probably just butchered the pronouncing of that. I feel like it's, it's, it's Gaelic, so it's not going to sound like German, how I pronounced it, but it's the potato famine during the 1840s to 1860s that absolutely crushed Ireland. And it was a, it was a, it was blight. It was the disease, it was a disease called blight. So basically, um, it's caused mass migration of people from Ireland to the United States. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, famine, not being able to provide for your family. People are going to leave and seek better opportunities than they have every right to. But this is turbulent. You don't want this. This is not ideal for history. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's never looked upon as good times when there's periods of mass migration. So how can you protect your potatoes from blight? Well, let's talk about what blight is. Blight is a, blah, I can't pronounce that, pyto, pytothortha infestans. Um, basically, it's a water mold. And in uh, 1845, it was one of the main culprits behind the potato famine. There was also government mismanagement, though, at the helm of that, too. It's important to remember. It wasn't just the potato blight that caused all, all that famine. But... Moving on from that, uh, it can be it can also infect uh, other members of the same family, and it's favorable in a cool, moist environment, and it's optimal at uh, high temperatures. So, if you have a warm spring, if you have a very warm spring, that can cause blight. It's basically just uh, excessive. Also, excessive rain can cause a significant blight as well, because obviously, if your uh, plants are in really moist conditions where things are flooded, it's they're gonna go bad. So never tie your fate of your family to one crop. I mean, we've seen the horrific effects, like wheat in China. You know, when they they had their giant lo like their locust plagues, you know, that were a significant factor in the along with government mismanagement of a horrible situation in the great famines. So, you know, tying your tying yourself to one crop is very enslaving, and it's a good way to get your family in serious nutritional trouble in turbulent times. So moving on from potatoes, let's try one more crop that you could do easily at home. And it's very easy to get seeds for this crop. I'm talking, of course, about the classic American tradition of maize slash corn. 
this is something that the indigenous peoples of the continent ate for 4,000 years. It's one of America's oldest crops, and it has many different varieties that are edible. And you could also feed animals with this crop too. So if you have cattle, pigs, sheep, anything, you know, really can eat corn. But let's talk about the corn that you can actually eat. Um, you have sweet corn and you have regular corn, which is better for cooking and stuff like that. I would recommend that variety. Although sweet corn would be uh, important too, because never underestimate the value of sweet, high calorie foods. Uh, post-apocalypse you know don't look down on foods just because they're unhealthy you're going to be burning a lot of calories you're going to need sweet foods they're going to come in very short supply so you want to plant uh, corn in blocks to promote pollination because it cross-pollinates and you also if you get two different types of seeds you want to plant them like 800 yards apart you got to keep them far apart because if they cross-pollinate then I mean you're not you're not going to get a good corn to eat it's, it's not going to serve either purpose of either strain um, so plant them in blocks, like five by five, maybe like six inches apart, I would say. Um, thorough weeding has to be done around the stalks in the early days because corn's very low tolerant to like outside plants taking their nutrients. It'll kill them pretty easily. So you want to make sure that the stalks are, are weeded around very, very, very well. And also, you want to make sure that you're not getting any cutworms, earworms, uh, bugs. Corn is very susceptible to pests of nature, like birds, insects, bugs, that kind of stuff. Um, you want to make sure that your corn's not getting diseases. You also got raccoons that are a problem. Really, if you if you want to make sure you have the environment for corn, if you uh, if you're planning on growing it. But in, in, in any case, you're not going to be able to grow everything. You, you're going to need some kind of reserve canned food. And you're going to need some kind of stockpile. So let's talk about stop, stockpiling canned food right now. All this information that I got on this was from the urbansurvivalsite.com. I recommend giving them a, a look. They're a pretty interesting website. Some good survival information, if not a little basic. It's a good starting point if you're like me, just now getting into it. But stockpiling on different kinds of foods uh, are essential. Let's talk about the ones that you might not think that can even be canned. Uh, apples. Canned apples are really, really good for their sweetness. Uh, you're not going to find too many apples after... You know, the shit hits the fan, unless you find them out in the wild. You're not going to, you're just, something that's not going to be available, unless you have them canned. And it's one of those sweet foods that you can get high calories from really fast. Super essential. Uh, bacon. Recommend heavily canned bacon because of its high fat. Uh, if it gets really cold, you're going to need, you're going to need a high fat concentration uh, as well as the fact that you're just simply burning so many calories when you're moving around constantly. Um, you don't want to stay in one place with canned food. I actually think that that's, that's not a good idea. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Also, you got beef stew for the same reason. Always, always essential to stockpile on beef stew. Bread, chicken, 
anything with high carbs that's going to easily replenish your calorie intake deficit. Never underestimate the power of hunger to make you slow down and become susceptible to the things around you. The people that are fed are going to have all the advantages when shit hits the fan. And it's scary. People can be easily subjugated when they're hungry. So you want to stock up on your veggies too, obviously. Uh, you can get canned corn. That's, I mean, that's an essential. You just got to have your canned corn, uh, beans, and uh, you know, green beans, regular beans, pork and beans. And then also pie filling. Something that not a lot of people think about, but I mean, hey, if you need quick energy, there's nothing better to eat than pie filling. Now, an important thing to also remember is because a lot of households simply don't have these nowadays and a lot of people my age simply don't know how to use them. But folks, keep a can opener in your house. Keep many can openers. The last thing you want to do is die from a cut that you got while trying to open a fucking can of pie filling with a knife. Okay, you can't you can't rely on knives to open all of your cans. You're gonna accidentally cut yourself, and that's it. Sometimes out there, and when when you know when there's not easy access to to anesthetics or disinfectants or anything like that. So be careful. Keep a can opener. You're planning on stockpiling canned food. Also keep your cans cataloged. I would say keep a book uh, with the the date of each can, like when you got it. They, they usually have a shelf life of about four or two to four years, depending on the item. But keep the expiration dates registered. You, the last thing you want to be doing is eating spoiled food when you think that you're getting uh, nutrients that you stocked up. Keep them in a cold, dark place as well. But ultimately, I think that uh, my, my bug out plan would include travel, getting somewhere other than where I'm at. Because I don't think that you can rely off of canned food for very long. I mean, it's just so high in sodium. I mean, you just wouldn't be very healthy. You know, if people did come to fight you, you'd just be not in a position where you'd be able to really do anything if you were just eating canned food for months and not going anywhere. The lockdowns have showed us that. I mean, it just makes people super unhealthy to sit around in one spot. And people who are unhealthy can be easily subjugated. They can be easily controlled by the government. Um, this is important stuff to remember, guys. Important stuff. All right, so yeah, that's the importance of keeping a garden in these times. And I know I knew I said the episode wasn't going to be uh, too much in regards to world events that are beyond our control, but in reality, you're preventing these events by keeping a garden because they can't happen to you. You know, in the in a lot of these countries, the government, like like you know, in a lot of these African countries, the government has created a situation where people literally can't grow their own food. Um, they they've created a situation where government mismanagement is so bad that people are being kept from providing for themselves and taking care of themselves. And, you know, it's very tragic. It's very tragic, and it leads to a lot of suffering when people don't know how uh, or have access to the resources to care for themselves. That's another thing, too. It's like the monetary resources. This is all coming from a major position of privilege that I have to, you know, have a stable job right now and access to you know, these things for now, <laughs> for now. I mean, we have talks about $15 minimum wage coming in. So 
you know, a lot of these people in these crisis countries that we were talking about, they literally don't have access to these materials. So you not don't shame them for starving. And it's like, oh, why couldn't they just grow their own food? Duh. Like, no, that's not it. That's not, that's not it. It's far away from the point. But don't become a victim. Like, you know, like use the privilege that this country gives you to stockpile food and to grow your own garden. Like, just take matters into your own hands. Don't rely on the government for handouts. I mean, that's not saying, like, the stimulus checks are inherently bad. Like, they, I know they've helped some people. And I'm not saying always deny, you know, checks from the government. I'm just saying don't rely on it. Don't let it become your lifeline. He who controls the well can poison the water anytime he likes. Remember that. I don't even know if anyone ever said that. I mean, I'm saying it now. How can we keep up with these things, though, that are going on in the news today? I mean, there's just so much out there. We're so much out there on the streets right now. Talking about like ease of control, the ease of you know dominating other people from a government perspective. What about the self awareness decline in society today? People are unself aware, and in, in, in many cases, I feel. And I think you need to look no further than America's depictions of rioting in the media over the past year to look for how low self-awareness is. I mean, you have quite literally the destruction of the populist movement because of this riot at the Capitol. I mean, people are now condemning MAGA rallies as hate groups. So obviously rioting inverts the message of your movement in, in many ways. Um, and that was always really the criticism that I had of Black Lives Matter. You know, as as good as the movement was in the early days and like the me the original message was, my criticism was the riots are going to invert that and they're going to turn people against it. So that's why I always criticized the riots. I actually criticized the riots more so than I did Black Lives Matter. And so people have a hard time coming back on me today for defending the average Trump supporters, um, you know, who are just on the street protesting what they consider to be an unfair election because... I, I advocate for peaceful protest. I do it quite often, quite frequently. But when you start rioting, it just it ruins it. A protest is like this weird religious lightning in a bottle that you have to capture. And if you let the lightning out of the bottle and it burns the fucking town down, then your protest has failed and now the government has an excuse to deem you an enemy. Once the government in fourth dimensional warfare has the means to deem you an enemy, then you're knocked out with the death ray. Trump supporters right now are under the death ray. You hear talk of armed protests. You hear talk of, you know, craziness in the Capitol. You got 30,000 troops deployed um, on the uh, at the day of Joe, Bi of Joe Biden's inauguration. Is that today? Holy fucking hell. Is that today? Is this last Trump's last day in office? Let's check. It's on the 20th. So, no. A couple days from now. But, eh, 
this Wednesday. If anything else happens, then the populist movement will 100% just be completely obliterated by the death ray of the government. In fourth-dimensional warfare, whatever you want to call it, this sort of new age of information war, once you've become the physical enemy, the representation of Hitler, fascism, violence, and the turmoil of the or the 20th century that, that caused so much violence for our, our race, a human, human race, then you're, you're destroyed. You know, once you're identified as a real threat to humanity, you are destroyed. Like ISIS, you become ISIS. They just drop bombs on you. Or those people uh, on that ranch that got, that got wiped out by the feds. I always forget the name of that event, but... never remember it's such an interesting case it was a religious sect in texas um but yeah like it's once you're once you're one of those people they, they can just take you out they can just take you out without any warning at all um there's going to be a new coming war on domestic terror i think i think domestic terror is going to be the new war on terror it's going to be the new excuse to pop out all the fancy uh, gadgets. And it's going, to occur, it's going to occur on our own soil. That's the scary thing. The government's going to keep spying on us. They're going to do it in ever crazier ways and integrate social media into that. They're probably going to integrate your family and friends in the form of, like, report people for wrong think. You know, get people banned. It's not, I mean, just grow garden. Grow garden, guys. That's that's what you gotta do. So uh, one last thing that I wanted to get into on this podcast. Well, actually, two things. Firstly, there's a rumor going around right now that Trump could leak in his last few days of office information about the the uh, coronavirus. Now, this is part of a series of declassifications that he's going through right now. Um, this is according to an article from The Sun. Putting you out there on the line, The Sun. This could be exposed as horribly fake news. But Donald Trump could declassify bombshell secret intelligence about the outbreak of COVID-19, linking it to a Wuhan research lab as one of his last acts as president. Wow. Imagine if he could somehow link that information and somehow establish that. It's credited to the Associated Press, but that is just the picture, I believe. But it says they believe the U.S. State Department could reveal evidence of the deadly bug escaping from the lab and it's and even its scientists, links to the Chinese army. On Monday, the White House enigmatically warned, the world cannot continue to pay heavy prices for the naivety and complicity in Beijing's irresponsible and harmful practices. Whether it's ending the rule of law in Hong Kong or not cooperating with health officials on the pandemic. 
the United States is examining further options to respond. So who knows if Trump actually has this information. Um, there has never really been an investigative investigation done independently into the coronavirus. It's something that I've argued for since the beginning because we know the Chinese government has not been playing ball with our investigations internationally on this. So something that I've always argued for ever since like last February was an independent investigation into where the coronavirus started, the early outbreak in Wuhan, and how it was handled. This was never done. Uh, Mike ba says, Mr. Trump and his top diplomat... Mike Pompeo were planning a devastating broadside against the Chinese Communist Party over their handling of the outbreak in late 2019. Pushed on the matter yesterday, Number 10 said it was committed to an investigation into the origin of COVID in China and called on Beijing to allow the probe to start as soon as possible. And this is according to a UK-US combined probe. The, PM, the Prime Minister's official spokesman said, We've been clear on the investigation and... Our desire for it to commence and answer the questions that are still outstanding. Investigators are now due to arrive in China, and as we've said throughout, it's important to investigate. It's important that their investigation is able to commence without delay, and we want to make sure it is open and transparent and scientifically rigorous. So it seems as though we may have some luck in getting that independent investigation. Hopefully, that can be one of the last things that Trump does. Um, but it's previously been suggested that the virus may have escaped from the Wuhan Institution of Virology, a high-security research lab that specialized in bat coronaviruses. I just don't see how it's too much of a stretch to think that it's a it's a you know a virus that they were experimenting on. Uh, obviously, coronaviruses are a huge, huge threat and have been for a while in China. How how is it? going that far out of the box to say that a, la a bat could have escaped from a lab, got to the wet market, and sold to someone. And then the Chinese government spent months covering it up, jailing journalists, killing doctors, disappearing people, building hospitals, covering up patients, and then not shutting down their airports after they've reportedly built a hospital for coronavirus. And now they're in the clear. Now they're totally in the clear. You don't hear anything about China anymore. You don't hear anything about them in the news. You don't hear anything about an investigation into where this came from. Calls for that. It's scary. It's scary. It's almost like they totally thwarted, they poisoned the world essentially. And... We're just sort of let off the hook. And meanwhile, you've got people, you know, here in the U.S. Who don't know anything about this stuff. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, you know, the World Health, the, the narrative the World Health Organization has now, that's, that's, the, that's what they've had since the beginning. It hasn't changed. They've been consistent. Wrong. Wrong. It's just like people don't pay attention, though, and they pick this stuff up like halfway through when it becomes really serious and it's already fucking out of hand by the time you know it gets to the point where it's at i was following the coronavirus from the very beginning this was the first ever event where you know i've rigorously spent time reading articles surrounding it from the very beginning 
from it when it wasn't even a thing to now where it's like the dominant factor in society. And I can tell you that the the change in narrative from last year to now, regardless of conspiracy, you have to admit that it's just crazy. You know, whether it be that we just know more about this coronavirus now, and that's the reason. I mean, that it's still just insane to look at. Like, and you go back last year and you got the World Health Organization and Fauci saying that masks don't help. And now they're the new religion. Like, people are going to argue for wearing masks after this is all over now. I have people like, you know, my, my close friends and girlfriend telling me they feel bare without the mask on their face when they're out in public. So it's really scary stuff. And despite all the negativity... I wanted to end the podcast today with some major positivity, a major good sign for things going back to some form of normality for sports lovers. Um, sports have just been so important in these times. And it's really something that can help sway us away from identity politics if we start treating them healthier, like just enjoying the sport rather than, you know, going into these team-like, you know, ridiculous fan crazes. But... MLB is going to play a full season, and I'm so happy to say that. They've announced a 162-game season, a guaranteed limited fan attendance. I'm imagining that depends on states, though. I imagine there will be some states that don't allow any fans to attend because of their state of emergencies the governors have enacted. But MLB is guaranteed a full season, and I honestly don't think that anything better for the sport could have possibly been done. All the players wanted to play, the fans wanted to play, the only reason that the owners didn't want a full season this year for baseball is because they didn't want some stadiums getting fans in the stands and others not because of coronavirus lockdowns. So fuck the greedy owners, give us the full season, and we won't riot. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Don't ever riot. It's always bad. Sis. So in the wake of the Lindor trade, you have the Mets stocking up for a postseason run. The Nats division, the NL East, is going to be a wild one. Uh, we just got uh, slugger Kyle Schwarber from the Chicago Cubs. Despite his 188 batting average last year, I hope that he is able to continue his power output. And let's hope the Nats can make a push for the playoffs. I'm a huge Nats fan. I'm excited for it. But... um. I want everyone to stay safe in these times. Like I said, don't riot. Don't go out and do stupid stuff. Just what the feds want. They want to pin you to a cross. Don't let them. Everybody stay beautiful and stay awake in these times. This is John Davies signing off.